Paul comes in a little bit abrupt often in his letters as well. We see that again tonight when we come to chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians. And if you read the title, you may go, oh, come on. Paul's defending his ministry again tonight. We're going to take it up in a different light, though, as Paul defends his ministry. Why is he having to do so? And the reason is because truth matters. And uh, the Corinthian church is under the threat of those who are not telling the truth, those who have come into this toil and this ground that Paul has labored in and are coming in and they're, they're saying things that are false. We'll deal with them in the next couple of chapters. They're called false apostles. And Paul will not let it stand. In some sense, he's writing to them and saying, Stop and listen to me. Let's pray before we read God's Word. Our gracious God, we thank You for Your Word, which is truth. In all the world, it is what can be believed. We thank You, God, that You have delivered it by and through Your prophets and Your apostles. And so as we hear it tonight, Lord, may it, it, it carry the very authority of the One who sent them, of Christ Jesus, as He speaks to us now. And so Jesus, speak to us this evening that we might know truth, that we might defend truth, that Your truth would go into all the world, that Your name might be known, and that You might be glorified among all the peoples, as it will be in the end. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. God's Word from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves to one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. 
For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limits in the labors of others, but our hope is that your faith increases. Our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. This is God's word for his people. Amen. Amen. Uh, This evening, when we once again turn to Paul uh, contending and defending for his ministry, uh, I want us to see what he's really doing is defending the veracity of the gospel of truth. So we're going to see three things. One, the battle for truth. Two, the importance of authority. And three, the goal of truth. So first, the battle for truth. You know the scenes of battle. Uh, Those images are filling up the, the screens as you watch the news. Uh, It's filled with these horrid images of cities that are torn apart. And each nation, it seems, is trying to impress upon the other a greater superiority to win the day. Bringing to bear whatever weapons they can. Nations parade their, their armaments before the other. And each tries to outdo the other in strength. And Paul... And verses 1 through 6 indicates that his ministry is marked by warfare, but of an entirely different nature. His language draws on the same language that we hear in in earthly warfare, but with a different intent. Instead of seeking to take one's life, as you might find the military doing, the warfare he is engaged in is to preserve life. So what are the implements of his warfare? He begins in verse 1 with language that is, quite frankly, uncommon to warfare. He says, I entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Gospel warfare is waged in the meekness of Christ. This is what that means, meekness. Softness of temper. Mildness. Gentleness forbearance under injury. How did, how did Christ, how did He conquer the world in meekness and gentleness? He came in a lowly state as a servant and He, he dealt gently with His enemies and He exercised extreme patience with those who opposed Him and He had extreme serenity and mercy towards those who were spitting upon Him and shouting crucify Him to His enemies that nailed the nails in His hands. Meekness though is not weakness. Just because Christ showed gentleness and meekness doesn't mean He was weak in any way for the task. And it's almost the complete opposite of warfare as we know it. And this is the way Paul comes. In the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. 
Paul's ministry has been marked by the wounds and suffering for the sake of others. And his body has been ravaged to the point that people notice he's weak. He has the appearance of weakness. This is what the false apostles are saying. That guy, that's the one you're going to follow? Look at him. And he engages, Paul does, uh, acknowledges too in verse 10. I, I know what it looks like. He engages in the spiritual battle over souls with every ounce of his being for the sake of truth. He says in Colossians 1, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, for the church, of which I became a minister according to How did he become this? According to the stewardship of God that was given to me to make the Word of God fully known. This is what it takes to win the battle for truth. Christ's meekness and gentleness. And this may seem, from an earthly perspective, a poor way to win the battle. And we know that the greater aggressor always wins earthly battles. But this isn't like any other battle. It uses different weapons. Weapons that don't lay in the the strength of men, but in the overwhelming power of God. This is what Paul tells them. So Paul says, verse 3, though we, we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. The weapons that we use in this warfare is the divine power of God that is established in in God's work and in God's Word. What does this power do? He says it destroys strongholds, verse 4. And we're not talking about thick walls like Jericho or kingdoms with chariots like Egypt and Babylon, but strongholds of Satan in the souls of men. Paul is setting prisoners free with the unstoppable force of the truth that is found in the Gospel. A place that no human weapon could go. Power in this Word that, that raises the dead and breaks every chain of sin and marches through the world as an unstoppable force. And of course, it is all rooted in what is true. Verse 5, the path of destruction is not human atrocity like other wars, but the death of lies. He says we destroy every argument of lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. These ramparts of Satan that has been raised against truth, he's taking it captive, he's tearing it down. It's the war against Satan's first tactic that he used in the garden, isn't it? When he first lied and he said, did God actually say... And in this, Paul is a a conqueror. He takes captives. Truth is the only way to win the battle of souls. And each believer is called to this kind of warfare. You are. You live in a world filled with lies. And we hold 
I mean, think about it. You hold in your hands this word of truth, this powerful sword that strikes down to the very marrow of who we are and strikes down beneath what we can see into the soul and penetrates. What a weapon we hold in our hands. This weapon has brought down kingdoms to their knees. The Word of God shakes the very foundations of this world. And it's truth. It's like gravity. You can jump all you want against it, but you can't go flying, right? You immediately are faced with this this reality that gravity is real and you cannot escape the truth that is in this Word. You can rage and fight against it, but this is God's truth and this is God's Word for His people. That's why Paul's writing this letter. Paul's defense of his ministry, it's not about him. He's defending what is true. Christ. And Him crucified is truth. And the world needs to hear it. Every thought needs to be taken captive to this reality. So it must be asked, what strongholds and what ramparts have been raised against truth in this world? What what strongholds and, and what ramparts have been raised in our own hearts against truth? What lies have we believed in this world? The common one is sin can't be, it can't be that bad. This sin can't be that bad. Not every sin could be damning. Oh, what a lie. What sin and lies have we made peace with that don't seem to cause us much harm? Corinth has made peace, it would seem, with men who have come in telling lies, speaking falsehood, and Paul will have none of it. Neither should we go gentle with falsehood in our own lives. We must take take every thought captive to obey Christ. How does my thinking align with what is true? And in order to do that, we have to know what is true, don't we? So we heard this morning. And then we have to act on it. And that's Paul's first volley in chapter 10. This leads us to our second point. Then the reason why he is once again defending his ministry, he shows the importance of authority. The importance of authority. Listen, whether you like it or not, and kids, I know that you probably like it the least of all. Because mom and dad get to have so much fun. And here they give us all these rules. But know this about your mom and dad. And about every person in this room. Even about the president or any king. We are all a people under authority. It is an unavoidable reality of being human beings. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not. Kings may think they can act as they will, but they cannot escape that God is an authority over them. So Paul begins in in verse 7 reminding them of Christ's authority over them. He says, look at what is before your eyes. If you have any confidence in Christ as your Lord and Savior, know that I, Paul, I have the same sense of authority 
over me. In other words, what he's saying here is, listen, I, I write you hard letters, but we are not enemies. And whatever these false teachers are saying, I am not your enemy. I am not your enemy, but brothers and sisters, we are under Christ. Let us not misplace the real battle. We aren't at war with each other, but with the great lie with Satan and with his dominion. And, and Paul's going to boast about his authority, but he's not boasting just to say, look, I'm over you. You got to do what I say, right? Just because I'm the boss and you're not. Not as a heavy-handed ruler. Not as you will obey me or else. But rather as a servant of Christ and to care for their every need. And he's only different in one regard. Verse 8. The Lord gave him this authority. He didn't ask for it. In fact, he was going to uh, kill all those who loved Christ. And Christ came to him and gave him this authority that you will suffer for my name's sake and you will go to the Gentiles. And Paul's not going to stand by and have some Gentiles say, you've got no authority here, brother. <laughs> Christ gave it to me. And he's adamant about them obeying Him and following Him because He represents Christ as an ambassador to shepherd their souls and care for them. There is no selfish ambition in Paul. I mean, no one takes beatings like that. He's willing to be torn down physically if it means that they are built up spiritually and it will be over his dead body if necessary to defend them from people who mean them harm such as false teachers in their midst. And Paul recognizes that he comes in. Uh, it's, it's, it's said here, it's, Peter says it about him. Listen, Paul comes in pretty hot in his letters. <laughs> sounds, he sounds abrupt. Why? He does it because he loves them. He rebukes them because he loves them. And let this never be misconstrued as the opposite of love. It is for their safety. We all, like sheep, are easily led astray. And Paul knows this and he models this love the same love that a parent models for his child, right? Don't go out in the road without looking both ways or they're going to yell, Stop! Don't touch that. It's hot. Why do we do that? It's because we love our children and we want them to know what is true so that they don't have harm, so that they don't suffer. And isn't a rebuke better than being harmed? And after all, parents, you've been made an authority over them for this purpose. And that's it. That's what Paul's doing here. Elsewhere, he's called them his, his children. These are his spiritual children. And the world's seeking to swoop in and, and feed them all kinds of lies that are dangerous. And he has been given this role and he can, uh, he can no more lay it down than a parent can lay down their assigned role that God gave them. I mean, you can, right? But the consequences are monumental because the world will always swoop in and it's not the world it's the one who is the prince of this world satan truth is important 
And Paul's not arguing by comparison. He doesn't say, look, you need to choose between me and them. This is what the false teachers are doing in Corinth. They've swooped in in Paul's absence. They've seen that the church has grown and while he's away, they're going, man, that's a place where a guy can go and make a buck. <laughs> a name for himself. And they come with their resumes and hands. They said, look how many followers I've got. Look at my credentials, my eloquence, my pedigree. Verse 12, their ministry is by comparison to one another. And there will always be someone better. There will always be a better preacher, a better runner, you name it. Whatever you are in your profession, there will always be someone better. Gospel ministry and evangelism isn't left for the most gifted, but instead those who truly understand where the power and the force of it rests in God. The divine power and force of God can use whomever He wants to accomplish His end. This is why He says in verse 12, these fellows don't have any understanding. These ones among you They're thumping their chest, claiming authority all the while. Paul is proclaiming Christ and Him crucified. He knows His weakness intimately, yet the world has been set on fire with the gospel of truth that has come from His lips. And Paul has been tasked by Christ with all authority to spread that truth of the gospel to the far reaches of the world. And I think it could be helpful for us as we, as we read this to understand this is the early church, right? There is no New Testament out there. Paul's writing to them and he's claiming this authority and he's claiming it as if it's the very Word of God. And brothers and sisters, it is. That's why he's adamant here. That's why he's arguing. God has, by the Holy Spirit, told me to deliver this message to you as it is written and you are to believe it and you are to follow it so that why are we reading a letter to a church in Corinth today? Because no Less is it the Word of God. And it is for His people. And this authority is important that Paul has. And we are to hear it and to receive it and to believe it. And that's what it's at stake with Paul. This is no different than the authority we assign to uh, this Word is the closed canon of the Bible. We are under its authority and it matters. That leads us then to our second point. What is the goal? Uh, sorry, third point. The goal of the truth that we are defending. You're probably like, oh man, only one second point. <laughs> In verse 13 through 18, Paul expresses the goal of truth. It is to bring Corinth under the influence of truth with the purpose of extending that truth to new regions that are still under darkness. But first, the Corinthians must embrace that truth. And Paul has at all times defended the truth at home. And he wants them to, to, to no longer encumber him, so to speak, with always having to defend this truth here. Do you see how it frustrates the plans of God? Uh, take hold of it and believe it. It's like a roadblock to this gospel ministry that is to go out to the world. He's been given this area of influence. And he sees the danger of those who have come in to influence them in a different way. The aim of truth for Paul is not only for their safety, 
but for it to go out to the world. It's that, 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 that area of influence, though, that I think is important for us to think about. God has assigned areas of influence to Paul and to his church. And I ask you, what are the areas of influence that have been assigned to us? As a parent, you have a little church at home. God has entrusted to you the guardianship and authority over your children. And your greatest task is to teach them what is true concerning Christ and His Word. And it's the same for you who are just individuals. I don't have a child. What's my role? God has given you neighbors. And He has given you co-workers. And He has given you friends. And of course, this all naturally dovetails with the church, with all saints who we've been preparing for Christianity Explored. As we think about why has God placed us in Brentwood and why in Nashville? It's not for self-gain. It's not so that we just fill up these pews with more people and people know where to find us. But for the sake of Christ as ambassadors for Christ. We are called to follow what is true and increase the influence of the Gospel beyond these doors. A congregation that doesn't follow truth, as Paul tells here, it hinders the work of the kingdom and the world. That's what Paul means in verses 15-16. through 16. He hopes that their faith and obedience increases, that the effect of this is that it enlarges the footprint of the Gospel, of the kingdom of God in all the world. Like a flashlight that goes on in the darkness, that darkness might flee. This is the battle of the ages, folks. It is a battle that will be won and is led by the authority of Christ and it hinges on the authority of His messengers and no battlement of Satan can resist the word of truth. Believer, you have a lot to boast about. Not about how big our churches or how wonderful a group of people are, how welcoming we are when you come in the door. Those are, those are wonderful blessings from the Lord if they happen, right? But we boast about the risen Christ Jesus. This is truth and the world needs to hear it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.